Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. The Tlingit and Haida Indian tribes of Alaska now have a parcel of land in trust. Designating trust land is usually a long and difficult process, but it's even more so in Alaska, where the legal landscape for tribes is largely governed by the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. Only a small handful of Alaska tribes have land held in trust, and in this case, the state is suing to undo the action. We'll explore the unique legal landscape for Alaska Natives and what this case could mean for tribal sovereignty. That's coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A coalition of Bristol Bay tribes, community members, Native corporations, and organizations in Alaska is celebrating the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's action to stop the proposed Pebble Copper and Gold Mine project from being built. On Monday, the EPA issued a final determination protecting the salmon-rich Bristol Bay watershed under the Clean Water Act. The EPA determined certain discharges associated with developing the Pebble Mine will have adverse effects on salmon fisheries in the Bristol Bay watershed. The tribe's Bristol Bay residents, commercial and sport fishers, environmental groups, and others have long fought for the protection of fish, water, and people in the region. In 2010, Bristol Bay tribes first formally petitioned the EPA to protect the pristine watershed under the Clean Water Act. The tribes of Bristol Bay, Bristol Bay Native Association, the Bristol Bay Native Corporation, and the Bristol Bay Economic Development Corporation released statements Tuesday calling the moment historic and celebrating the protection of their lands, water, and cultures. Developers, the Pebble Limited Partnership, in a statement said, the preemptive action against Pebble is not supported legally, technically, or environmentally, and they'll likely take legal action. Monday's decision follows years of litigation and a 2020 key Pebble Mine permit denial by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. A joint resolution to recognize the history and trauma of Indian boarding schools and asking for a day of remembrance was recently heard in the Montana legislature. Montana Public Radio's Ellis Julin reports. Democratic Senator Susan Weber from Browning is carrying the resolution, which asks the 68th legislature to recognize the trauma inflicted by removing American Indian children from their families and sending them to boarding schools. Senator Weber is a member of the Blackfeet Nation and shared her firsthand experience as a survivor of these schools, having attended the Cutbank boarding school until junior high. I wanted to bring this bill because I, my generation is the last generation that had to go to boarding school. We had to go to boarding school. Now, I'm not 150 years old. <laughs> this was still going on in the 60s. The resolution also asks the U.S. government to create a national day of remembrance for the children that died in boarding schools. The U.S. Department of the Interior published a report last year as part of an ongoing investigation into the country's past assimilation policies. That report found 408 boarding schools across 37 states, including 18 sites in Montana. More than a dozen people gave testimony in support of the resolution in its first committee hearing. There were no opponents. The Senate Education and Cultural Resources Committee did not immediately take action on the bill. For National Native News, I'm Ellis Julin.
The Confederated Tribes of Umatilla Indian Reservation Board of Trustees has legalized hemp and marijuana on the reservation. On Monday, the Board of Trustees voted to amend the criminal code to legalize the possession of marijuana on the reservation in Oregon. The change goes into effect immediately for people 21 years and older to consume and possess marijuana. Tribal laws will be similar to state laws, but any business on the reservation related to marijuana or hemp will be addressed in future codes and regulations. According to the Board of Trustees, the alignment of laws will help the tribe have the option of compacting with the state for any future business in the industry if the tribe chooses to do so. And in New York, the St. Regis Mohawk Tribal Council has adopted a cannabis consumption lounges amendment. The tribal clerk notified tribal membership on Monday that no written comments were received on the amendment, which was signed by the tribal council last week. The membership was given 30 days to comment on the cannabis ordinance. A consultation session was also held earlier in January. The tribe's cannabis control board is now authorized to issue consumption lounge licenses. Lounges may only sell cannabis, cannabis products and other approved items to people 21 and older. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. This Valentine's Day, you can give all your sweethearts truly unique gifts from SweetgrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Unlike the reservation system in the lower 48 states, there are only a handful of Alaska's 228 federally recognized tribes that have parcels of land and trust. That number grew by one in November when the Department of Interior approved a land into trust transfer of a city lot in Juneau for the Tlingit and Haida tribes. It's only the second designation of trust land in Alaska since 2017. That's the year the Department of Interior revised a rule for land into trust transfers in Alaska. The state of Alaska is now suing Interior, saying the transfer violates the 1971 Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. In this hour, we'll hear about what's at stake and what this legal challenge means for tribes in Alaska. We hope you'll join our discussion, too. What's the value of putting land into trust? We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us from Juneau, Alaska, is Richard Peterson. He's the president of the Tlingit and Haida tribes of Alaska. He is Tlingit and Haida. President Peterson, welcome back to NAC. Hey, good morning. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. President Peterson, the parcel of land we're talking about today, it's 800 square feet. That sounds like a fairly small city lot. Why did the tribes choose this particular parcel of land to transfer into trust? Well, honestly, we have several applications in, and, you know, the, the parcels we picked were actually what is referred to as the old Indian village here in downtown Juneau, 
or Tsong Tahiti, as it's referred to in our uh, Tlingit language. Um, and so we've been consciously buying land back as it comes available in the old village site. Um, our headquarter building is in in this site. We have applications in now, actually, that uh, encompass the lands and under our building. And so it was just probably the easiest and clearest parcel of land to get through the process. And so that was the first one. And we hope the first of many to get uh, approved into trust status. These other parcels that you mention, uh, are, are they contiguous with this current parcel that's in trust now? They are, yes. And what is the, what, what are the plans for these pieces of land if, if they're all able to be transferred into trust? You know, it's funny because, you know, you talk to folks on the street and people are like, oh, the tribe's going to, you know, be selling fireworks. They're going to have a casino. They're going to have all these things. We don't really have any of those kind of plans. This is really about, uh, this is where our governance happens. It's uh, our headquarters area. And, you know, this is literally a parcel in the middle of our parking lot right now. So it's just putting it into trust to, you know, protect it in for into per perpetuity. Um, we've watched our land base diminish. You know, folks in the lower 48, they think that, uh, Tribes in Alaska don't have land, but, you know, we've always had land. All of Alaska is Indian country. Um, and we're just trying to get, you know, piece by piece. We're trying to legally and lawfully buy back what was illegally and unlawfully taken. Now, what's on the land now? I heard you mention a parking lot. Is it a parking lot or are there structures on it? Uh, this is an empty lot now, and it's continuous to our parking lot. So... You know, there's there's no grand um, scheme or plan. It, it's literally just we're consolidating our land base in the original town site. We, we want to protect it. Um, but, you know, our tribe has very consciously been buying land. Uh, in the last few years, we've bought in some buildings uh, in downtown Juneau. I, I just spoke at a conference this morning where the, the mayor made a, a joke of how we got one of the buildings that the city and borough wanted to buy. And, and she meant it in good humor and jest, and, and I took it as such. But, you know, we're, we're very deliberately buying land back, and, you know, we're, we're building out our base. Now, President Peterson, pushback from the state of Alaska centers around taxes for this parcel of land. What are some other reasons the state is putting up this fight? You know, I, I think it's an erroneous idea of states' rights. Um, I'm, I'm really disappointed in this case. You know, I think I, I would have hoped that the governor and his staff would have reached out, invited us for a meeting, maybe coffee, and had the discussion rather than trying to settle this in, through lawsuits. What, what's really frustrating is in their statement, you know, they allude to they just want to um, question answered uh, um, whether tribes have this right, and they feel that ANCSA extinguished that right. One, we know that ANCSA did not extinguish that right. Um, ANCSA didn't settle anything with the tribes, quite frankly. And we know through previous lawsuits, uh, such as the um, 
Akiachuk case in, I think it was 2014, where it was already decided, you know, that tribes could put land into trust under the Obama administration. We saw one parcel in the community of Craig put into trust. And, and it, you know, we've seen that the opinions and, and the interior solicitor's opinion, it all says we can do this. So I think it's very um, dubious and, and erroneous to say we just want the question answered. The question's been asked and answered, and, you know, unless I, – I just can't see that there's anything um, honest about that statement. And maybe I'm just, you know, a skeptic, but, again, that question could have been asked and answered with us, and they've never had the conversation. It'd be one thing if they had the conversation and then they didn't like the answer and went this route, but they've never even bothered to have the conversation with us. Now, uh, a trust transfer, though, is, it's, it's a rare, relatively rare occurrence there in Alaska. Did you folks expect uh, some type of pushback from the state? Yeah, we did. You know, unfortunately, we hoped that there wouldn't be, but it was as expected. And, and what are the next steps now for the tribes? You know, we're looking at the the case, the litigation, because, you know, they're not suing us. They're, they're suing the Department of Interior. They're naming Assistant Secretary uh, Brian Newland. Um, so we're looking at all of the legal ramifications, what it means for us, whether we engage or or just stand by. Um you know, we're we're clinking tonight as though I don't think we're known to just stand by and watch anything happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm interested in in hearing you know other folks there in the community, uh, tribal members in the Geno area. What's uh, what's the feedback there? What are you hearing from from tribal members and other folks that have a, a vested interest in this land? Sure, you know it's been incredible. The minute the news came out. I was inundated with messages, calls, texts, every, you know, social media. And, and our people are like, hey, don't stand for this. I hope you're going to fight. You know, I hear our people. The interesting thing is, you know, the state suing, and, and you mentioned taxes, the city and borough of Juneau, who stands to be concerned about the taxes, uh, they're supportive of us in this. You know, we have a good relationship. We're working on a, um, developing a memorandum of agreement with them on, you know, because, hey, we want services, we want fire, we want police. So what does that mean and how do we um, bargain that out? We're, we're working on that. And, you know, again, I was at a, a regional conference uh, hosted in our building this morning where the mayor of Juneau applauded us for our growth and are buying land, and I think they understand that healthy tribes make healthy communities. You know, our employment in the last eight years has gone from about 190 employees to over 500. You know, we might not pay a sales tax, but I can guarantee you employed citizens pay taxes. It's good for the economy. It's good for the community. And I think uh, our mayor and the assembly recognizes that. I only wish that our governor could see that. Mm-hmm. Now, as I understand it, it took about 10 years for this land into trust transfer to occur. So what's your timeline on these other parcels? Uh, 
any idea when those could possibly be transferred into trust, provided uh, this dispute with the state uh, is um, resolved in a relatively short time frame? We've actually had some of these applications in since 2009. So it, it's been a long battle. Um, the, the good thing is we've been meeting with Interior. Um, they were expecting this as well. And, you know, what I've been told is, hey, we're going to keep proceeding business as usual. So our fear was this lawsuit would happen and then all the other applications would be put on pause. Uh, my understanding is that is not the case. And they're moving expeditiously on our other applications to get those through. Now, President Peterson, as a tribal leader, uh, the whole issue of putting land into trust, uh, do you see any disadvantages with that for your tribes? Or, or do you think the, the benefits, I mean, just far, far outweigh any disadvantages to, to land held in trust? Well, I think it literally depends case by case. What are we using the land for, right? Because, you know, you're encumbering the land. Now, this land, we're going to have to work with Interior. If we change or deviate from what our application said, we're going to have to get their approval. So, you know, if we wanted to do a development to sell houses or whatever, we obviously wouldn't want to put that into trust because that would be a cumbersome process. But, you know, again, these lands, we're doing exactly what we said in our application. This is where our governance happens. This is where our headquarters is. That's all we're ever going to do there. And we want to protect these lands, you know, for future generations. We're speaking now with President Richard Peterson with the Tlingit and Haida Tribes of Alaska, and he's giving an overview of uh, this recent effort to put a parcel of land into trust in downtown Juneau. Give us a call if you have a question or you'd like to chime in on today's dialogue, 1-800-996-2848. Do you know how much to tip a delivery driver? Should you tip them at all? Is there a stereotype when it comes to native people and tipping? What to give service industry people on top of their usual pay is a confusing and frustrating matter sometimes. We'll talk to native money managers and service workers about the ins and outs of tipping on the next Native America Calling. Mutsut Niknudach Chilchamak Kalikak Chumik Kiu Unichtown Ritnachtuten Yuvrinaran Muswikpni Hwashu State Medicaid Office Sam Awalik Tatcha Una Kingunachtukhwagen The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about the land into trust process in Alaska today. Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. A note of disclosure, we reached out to the Alaska Office of the Attorney General, and they responded, saying that it's too early to speak publicly about the case. But they sent a press release with the Attorney General Treg Taylor's remarks on the issue. I'll read it now. The Assistant Secretary of Interior used an 86-year-old statute 
to create a reservation in downtown Juneau, Alaska, contrary to the position held by prior solicitors for decades. This could throw into question the laws that apply as you walk through a single city block. ANCSA was a compromise that was meant to avoid the lower 48's reservation system in Alaska. Congress meant for Alaska to be different. In order to avoid confusion and give certainty to all parties involved, we need the courts, hopefully the highest court, to tell us once and for all what the law actually is. President Peterson, would you like to respond to that press release? Well, again, I think it's just an erroneous premise. And, you know, the question's been asked and answered, as I said earlier. There's been court cases, the Akiachuk case back in, I think, 2014, you know, um, which allowed the Obama administration to put land into trust. Of course, it happened right at the end of that administration, and then we've seen a change in administration and policy. But, you know, this is a policy question, and the policy is in our favor. Um, so why the state of Alaska is choosing to, you know, sue Interior over this really just baffles me. Okay. Well, President Peterson, really appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us on the air today. We've got another guest I'd like to introduce now. Joining us from Anchorage, Alaska is Joe Nelson. He's the chairman of Sea Alaska. He's Tlingit. Joe, welcome back to Native America Calling. Good to uh, talk with you, Sean. Good to be here. Joe, the Craig Tribal Association was able to put land into trust back in 2017. Uh, President Peterson just referenced that. Was there backlash from the state similar to what we're seeing now in Juneau? As I recall on that one, uh, not not to the court level, and there was a different administration at our state, you know, in our governor's office then too. So I, I would say, no, not that I recall. You know, there's um, these philosophical uh, feuds, I guess, uh, going back and forth here, and, and we know that the, the laws are dynamic, and, and even at the Supreme Court level, there's, you know, um, 50 years of settled law that's being unsettled in the Supreme Court level. So the kind of battle between uh, philosophies, I guess, is something that folks will take to the court when they feel like they can, um, you know, get their way. And uh, back on, on the Craig parcel, you know, that, that was the first in the state, and it was exciting. You know, the tribes are still here. We have 200-plus tribes, and uh, President Peterson's effort here uh, – with Clinton Haida, I'm a I'm a member of Clinton Haida's uh, uh, enrolled Clinton Haida. I'm also enrolled at Yakutat Clinton uh, Tribe, and I happen to have lived just five minutes walking distance from the the, the new parcel that, that's in the news right now. So this is something that's uh, close to my heart, uh, and uh, I, I think all of our tribes are paying attention, and we're all going to lean in. And, find a path here to make sure we've got this tool in the toolkit uh, available for, for the rest of our tribes. And this land that Craig Tribal Association put into trust uh, about six years ago, what's it, it being used for? How big is it? Can you give us a little background on that land? I, I can just a little from my own personal experience, but I can't you know really speak for Craig Tribes. They've got obviously good leadership and that was thoughtful because these processes take a long time especially when you don't even have a process to do it in alaska so they they uh broke ground there and cut a trail and got it confirmed and it's their uh their community hall craig tribal offices uh right there and 
when we we go visit it it's, it is a meeting place it, it's a central uh piece of property right in town with a community hall right there so so we frequent that um, facility when we're in town pretty regularly now this current lawsuit between the state of alaska and doi do you think it will set a precedent uh other tribes in alaska do they need to be concerned right now i would say yeah everybody needs to be concerned about how where this goes um and it's you know with the 200 plus other tribes uh and you know the 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 potential for this to uh, you know some precedent setting yeah is always an issue with most cases uh, most the potential for that so i i would say it definitely is got everybody's attention right now to to track this and, and not just track it, but to, to weigh in and make sure that we have a, a plenty of uh, advocacy, you know, to, to make sure we're, we're getting on the right side of things when it's all said and done. Now, we, we touched on, on this topic with President Peterson earlier, but I want to ask you as well, I, I mean, why would tribes in Alaska want to put land into trust? What are, what are some of the motivating factors? Again, I, I can't speak for all of our tribes, but, you know, this is just just um, Joe Public here who happens to be a tribal member. And it is, for some, might be counterintuitive to, to take your fee simple property and, and then hand the title over to the feds. Um, but, the, you know, there, there's plenty of reasons you can come up with. And President Peterson hit at, uh, a, a bit of it, and it, it really depends on the, the will of the tribe and the community and the council what the purpose is and the the core purpose there, I would say one of them is just protecting our lands in per- per- perpetuity uh, and maintaining that tribal ownership in perpetuity so that our, so that our grandkids, uh, you know, continue to have a place that, that, that they know uh, as home. So all of our tribes are built around our, our, our homes, our home communities by definition, our, our, our tribal communities and for the tribes not to have a land base sort of in perpetuity is uh it's troubling that thought so so this is um definitely key issue for us as as a people to to be involved in well thank you for those insights joe uh let's bring uh, another perspective in now joining us from anchorage alaska is lloyd miller he's a partner at sanoski chambers saxe miller and monkman and a note of disclosure, uh, Sanoxy Chambers, Saxe Miller, and Monkman is an underwriter for Quantic Broadcast Corporation. Lloyd, welcome to Native America Calling. Welcome, Sean. Pleasure to be here. You bet, Lloyd. Uh, can you tell us uh, what other tribes in Alaska have trust land uh, in addition to the, the two tribes, with, or the three tribes, essentially, that we're talking about today? There are uh, trust parcels in Kwok and Angoon. <clears throat> There may be a, a third trust parcel in southeast Alaska. These were trust parcels that were acquired by the United States and trust in the 1930s and 40s and were not impacted at all by the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. Now, do you know how those uh, parcels of trust land are being used now? Any of them? I don't know how the parcel in Angoon is being used. From time to time, the parcel in Klawak has been used um, for office 
purposes, for tribal office purposes, sometimes for um, local small community uh, bingo uh, operations and gatherings. So the use of that property has varied over the years. Okay. Now, earlier I read that press release from uh, the Attorney General there in Alaska, and it referenced this 86-year-old statute um, to create a reservation in in downtown Juneau. Can you tell us more uh, about that? What exactly is this 86-year-old statute? Well, I I can't plumb the depths of the motivations behind the Attorney General's statements. All I know is that since the 1936 Alaska Indian Reorganization Act, the law has been that the secretary possesses the authority to acquire land and trust upon the request of a tribe, of course, and that law has never been changed. Other aspects of the law have been changed, have been examined. That law has never been changed, and no court in the land has ever ruled otherwise. The um, the statement from the attorney general is disturbing because it, it, it suggests that the court should decide what laws have been repealed instead of Congress. And in, in, in the law business, Congress has the final say on what the law is. And in, uh, in fact, after the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act was passed in 1971, Congress came back to that act in 1976 and made various adjustments to the Native Claims Settlement Act, which we can talk about later. And Congress that year also looked at the Alaska Indian Reorganization Act and decided to repeal one piece of it, but to leave the rest of it intact. And the portion that Congress left intact is the portion that includes the authority to acquire land and trust at the request of of an Alaska tribe. Now, Lloyd, earlier you mentioned uh, one of these parcels or, or a couple, I can't remember exactly, but are, are used for, for a bingo hall or, or some sort of gaming. And I, I think there's this perception, especially down here in the lower 48, you hear it all the time whenever there's any news about a tribe making a move to put land in trust. It's always like, oh, they're going to put a casino there. They want to build a casino. That's what it's all about. That's at the heart of it. Um, but isn't, isn't gambling illegal in Alaska? I'm not clear on that. No, no. Gambling is regulated in various ways by the state of Alaska. Uh, So gambling is not entirely prohibited in Alaska. But uh, when you talk about lower 48 gaming, I think you're alluding to what we call class three gaming, high stakes uh, gaming activities. And, And that's not what is going on in Alaska. There is a small community bingo hall in, um, in uh, Kluak, and, and that's it. This particular acquisition that just happened in Juneau, as President Peters indicated, was the land was acquired to maintain its current use. They had no intention of changing the use of that land. Had they wished to acquire land for gaming purposes, it would implicate entirely different issues or additional issues under the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. Uh, but that's not what's going on. Okay, because I imagine even to, to to introduce class three gaming, like you suggest, with table games and the full slots, I mean, would that even be possible in Alaska without major, major legislation changes? Lloyd? I think we might have lost Lloyd there, folks. Apologize for that. Um, 
let's bring a, another guest into the conversation. Or actually, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and, and go back to uh, our other earlier guest, Joe Nelson. And Joe, like I mentioned earlier, you know, there's this perception that that gaming is, is always behind uh, efforts to, to move land into trust down here in the lower 48. And what's your thought on that uh, there in Alaska? Do you, do you folks uh, get that kind of pushback sometimes with regard to these topics we're talking about today with land being put into trust? Not, not as intense as, you know, back in the 90s when things were moving for in California, for example, uh, because it really is a different framework. As, as Lloyd was getting at, we really, in Alaska at the moment, don't have Class 3 gaming uh, just allowable in general at, at, across the state. So, so there's a, a, a limit to what can uh, happen as far as gaming in Alaska. So it really hasn't bubbled to be uh, that, that I observed. Are you there, the Lloyd? controversial issue. The other Oops, um, kind of obvious Lloyd. thing for, for Alaska um, uh, President is, Peter. We're different from California, for example. Okay, well, let's go ahead. That many people, that many people. You need, you need a, a hardy population of people to come in to, to uh, you know, be depositing their money in those casinos. And we just, we don't have that uh, huge population right nearby. Right, right. Yeah. Appreciate that comment there, Joe. Um you know, in regarding some of these other uses for land and trust, and, and again, over and over, we, we hear this need to, you know, maintain these lands in perpetuity and to have this um, security with these lands. And of course, it's a very different situation with regard to ANCSA and how land is owned by tribes and, and other native communities there in Alaska. And, you know, for folks down here in the, in the lower 48, what do you think the takeaway here is? And, and what do you think our listeners need to understand about uh, the relationship with trust land there in Alaska and how it's different than maybe perhaps tribes down in the lower 48 perceive it? Yeah, well, just in, in the bigger scheme, there's the reason why, you know, why we're in the courts and why these issues are here is because of the 1971 Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. And just by definition, there's there's not an you know, Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act impacting any of the other 49 states. This is just to Alaska. So we're always going to be a, a little unique in that sense that, that our, our land claim, in one sense, was settled unique to us, uh, and, and it created these corporations uh, but but the reality is our, our tribes are doing well and you know and also could you know use as much uh, I, I, I guess uh, not necessarily support but just the avenue for empowerment and leadership um, at all of our local tribes because Alaska you can't drive just get on the road and go from community to community uh, it, it, it's they're, they're remote and with the state wrestling with the tribes on this it is troubling, but I do hope we settle it on the right side so that our tribes actually uh, can continue protecting their communities, can continue uh, growing and providing the government services that really, in many respects, the, the state's fallen down on. Um, so it, there's a potential, such huge potential just for win-win, like if, if you, you take President Peterson up on the coffee and just have coffee and figure out, you know, the real needs of the communities um, and, and get to work rather than uh, lawyering up and, and taking things to the courts to have, as Lloyd said, uh, judges potentially um, legislating for us. Mm -hmm. 
Well, thanks, Joe. And we have Lloyd back on the line. And Lloyd, I want to ask you a question I asked Joe earlier regarding this current lawsuit between the state and and DOI. And do you think there's a precedent there? And if so, what is it? Well, uh, 10 years ago to the year, Judge Contreras in Washington, D.C., considered the very arguments the state is making here in this case. Federal judge considered these arguments pretty carefully and concluded that Congress had never repealed the secretary's authority to do what uh, Assistant Secretary Newland is doing today, to acquire land and trust at the request of an Alaska tribe. So there is powerful precedent from Judge Contreras. Now, subsequent to his decision, the department brought its regulations into conformity with his decision because their regulations had a moratorium in them against acquiring trust lands in Alaska. So that got fixed. Uh, the Craig parcel was acquired uh, in trust, one acre parcel underneath the Craig tribal building uh, where they where they host, uh, they have their offices and they host community events. And no lawsuit was ever brought. No lawsuit was brought to challenge the regulatory action that uh, did away with the moratorium. No litigation was brought to challenge Craig's acquisition or the secretary's acquisition of land in Craig. Okay, Lloyd, I'm and sorry. It, we're going to have to take a short break, but I'll let you continue when we come back. If you or someone you know is feeling sad, hopeless, or experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, call, text, or chat 988. 988 is a new three-digit dialing code for 24-7 emotional, mental, or substance misuse support. 988 connects you to free confidential support. You are not alone in a crisis. Just call, text, or chat 988. For more information, visit 988.nm.org. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're focusing on the land into trust process in Alaska, and there's plenty of time to join the conversation. What does the trust land process mean for your tribe? What are some benefits for tribes that put land into trust? What are some challenges or disadvantages with trust land? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. We're looking forward to your comments. We're speaking now with Lloyd Miller. He's a partner at Sanoski Chamber, Saxe, Miller, and Monkman. And Lloyd, before break, you were sharing that a lawsuit like this one the state has filed against Interior uh, it hasn't occurred before. And of course, uh, the argument uh, of the state of Alaska centers around taxes um, from this piece of land there in Juneau. Um, are you buying that? Uh, well... Not at all. And the reason I'm not buying it is the state of Alaska doesn't impose taxes on this land, doesn't have real estate taxes or state sales taxes. The taxing authority is the city borough of Juneau. The city and borough of Juneau has been very supportive of the quest for the Klinkitnaya Indian tribes to acquire this land and has worked very cooperatively with to uh, to resolve any any issues that might come up that are related to taxation or public services. So if the state is trying to carry the borough's water, it's ill-positioned to do so since the borough seems perfectly fine with what has happened. Mm-hmm. 
Well, also, I want to ask you, I mean, what difference uh, does who holds the power in the federal government make? I mean, is that an issue that we need to consider as well? Just uh, what type of administration is in office and and how their policies uh, impact some of these issues in Alaska? Well, we should be concerned about that. It is um, an unfortunate fact that through multiple administrations and multiple secretaries, policies toward Alaska tribes have shifted. Uh, it's been one policy under the Bush administration, another under Clinton, another under Obama, another under President Trump, and another under President Biden. Um, but through it all, the courts have tried to sort out what the law is also. And, and that record is more consistent. You won't find any court decision that concludes that the secretary doesn't have the authority to deal with Alaska tribes on a government-to-government basis. In fact, all the courts have, have addressed that in a very uniform way, whether it's the state court system or the federal court system. It, it just seems that this current administration, uh, as evidenced by this lawsuit only, uh, is, is not satisfied with the status quo in the courts and in Congress. In, in hopes that they'll catch a lucky fly and uh, and get a reversal. But I don't think that's going to happen. President Peterson, I, I want to ask you, I mean, any gauge for how long this lawsuit from the state might take to play out? I'm hoping that this isn't something that's drawn out, but... You know, <clears throat> Lloyd happens to be our attorney, so maybe he has a, a better feel for that. Lloyd, feel free to respond. Sure. Well, uh, in the uh, Administrative Procedure Act case, this is a case that is under the Administrative Procedure Act. It authorizes courts to examine final decisions that have been taken by federal agencies. In a case like this, the cases tend to go fairly quickly. The agency has to uh, enter an appearance in the case and eventually file the record that the agency compiled so that the court and the state and any other litigants can see what the record was. And then it's usually one round of briefing and, and a court decision. Now, the speed of the case depends perhaps more on the time it takes for the court to issue a decision, given other burdens that the court has and how many trials the court has. But I would think that the first level decision in this case could be resolved within a year. Seems like it should be. Maybe okay. even less, well, less than a year. Maybe less than a year. And President Peterson, I'm interested in your perspective here. I mean, if this goes through and um, DOI is able to, to get this lawsuit dismissed or just overcome it, um, do you see your tribes paving the way for other Alaskan tribes to transfer land into trust? I'm thinking perhaps uh, you know there could be a huge influx, a wave of tribes putting land into trust there in Alaska. Well, we absolutely hope so. You know, more than anything, Craig Tribe set the precedence, and we're following. We we had applications in along the same time as them. You know, whether we see a wave or or, you know, just a, a little bit, um, we don't know. But, again, that's our self-determination and our self-governance, right, to decide what we do, right? So whether everybody decides, yes, we want to put land in trust, we just want them to have the ability. 
We want the right. We want parity with our um, brothers and sisters in the lower 48 to be able to have the self-determination and rights that they have. And I hope this does set that precedent. Now, is it possible that that's really what the state's fearing right now? Is that taking parcels like this one in Juneau and potentially many more off the tax rolls could uh, could create challenges for them in the future? What tribe pays taxes now? It, it doesn't change anything, and that's the what's ludicrous about this, right? Um, and if anybody should be concerned, it would be the, the municipal government, and we have their support in this. So I, I really think that the um, state and, and this administration is making tribes the boogeyman. You know, it's ironic to me that this uh, past summer, this, the governor signed into um, a bill recon- the state finally recognizing the 229 tribes in Alaska. And then the first day of the 33rd legislature, they filed this suit. It's pretty disingenuous, you know. Where, where do they really stand with relationships with tribes? Because in Alaska, we have 229 federal federally recognized tribes. If you live in rural Alaska and you can flush your toilet, if you have a clinic, if you have most infrastructure services, it's because of the tribes and and Indian money. If anything, the state should be working with us and getting out of the way and and applauding that Alaska has so many tribes and bringing so many dollars to Alaska. But that's the short-sightedness that unfortunately we're seeing in this decision to sue. And Lloyd, I, I want to ask you, so going back to, to ANCSA, uh, Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, uh, 1971, now any, any of these issues, uh, the land into trust transfer, this lawsuit that's come about, I mean, does it jeopardize or, or compromise ANCSA in any way going forward? And is that something that we need to be thinking about? No, I don't think so. ANCSA was a land claim settlement. It was important to clear the way for many competing interests. The state wanted to be able to select its 105 or 110 million acres due under the Statehood Act, and they've done that. Uh, Eventually, Alaska Native Corporations had a right to select 44 million acres, and they've done that. Oil and gas drilling needed to happen on the North Slope, and they've done that. So the land claim settlement, uh, including the setting aside of massive national parks and refuges, rivers, all of that is what ANCSA was about and what ANCSA and subsequent amendments achieved. So nothing that we're talking about today unsettles in any manner the very important land claim settlement that was achieved through ANCSA, its amendments, and ANILCA. That remains in place, and that's the core of those legislative enactments. Now, for a tribal leader that might be listening to the show down here in the lower 48, and we we all know that that Alaska is very different, and and this issue of trust land is very, very different than than what we have down in the lower 48. But, um, I mean, should they be concerned that uh, a state is suing DOI for a a land into trust transfer? I mean, is that something that could potentially set a precedent down here in the lower 48 as well in some way, shape, or form? Well, it has happened. Uh, trust land acquisitions have been challenged from time to time, sometimes by a state, sometimes by uh, 
a, a group that is generally opposed to Indian tribes and tribal sovereignty. Usually that's how it comes up. Uh, there are a number of motivations that can inform why challenges are brought against the secretary when the secretary decides to take land into trust. For the most part, trust acquisitions have been very uh, non-controversial. And in Alaska, they really should be non-controversial when there's support from the local government. The local government is the only local, you know, an arm of the state, a municipality. Uh, that's the only government that might have concern on the ground for what it means day to day. And in my experience, the tribes are working this out with their local governments. And, and the best example of that, of course, is what's happening in Juneau. Uh, incidentally, I think we'll see a trickle of land applications. There wasn't a flood after the Craig land acquisition. Um, the uh, Quinket and Haida applications had been pending for many, many years before that. And uh, what we have not seen is a large number of applications filed by villages across the state. I think it's going to be a very a slow process. It is, by the way, a cumbersome and even expensive process. Well, earlier we talked about this 10-year timeline that it took uh, for this current parcel up there in Juneau. And is that uh, pretty typical then of, of some of these land-to-trust transfers that we're talking about today? No, I think what plagued the, uh, their application and the 10-year process was that primarily during the Trump administration, there was a four-year moratorium uh, imposed on any trust land acquisitions. And then, of course, the Biden administration had to re-examine all that and decide whether to continue it, modify it, or terminate it. They recently came out with an opinion. But that entire span took six years out of those 10 years. What do you think should be, uh, I mean, a reasonable timeline then for a landed trust transfer? Maybe half that, five years, what, three years? Oh, no. I, a reasonable time, which should be less than a year. And in fact, the uh, department has published proposed amendments to the trust land regulations to simplify and expedite the process and establish internal and external um, timetables for the processing of trust land acquisitions. The department recognizes that the process has gone too slowly in the past. And to the extent that was necessary because the department in 1980 was figuring out how to do trust land acquisitions, 40 years is enough time to figure out how to do it. And now they want to show that they can do it much more quickly, much more swiftly, and prioritize it. And one way to do that, by the way, is to make sure that regional offices of the Bureau have the authority to process the, these applications so they don't pile up in the central office in Washington, D.C. And that's one of the uh, improvements being uh, effectuated by the current administration. One of my producers just handed me this statement by the Alaska governor. His name is Mike Dunleavy. Here it goes. We believe that this issue of tribal lands was settled with the passage of ANCSA in 1971, and that has been the law of the land for more than 50 years. If we are wrong, then the courts need to clarify it. The purpose of the case is to receive unambiguous legal clarity for the state, local governments, the tribes, and all Alaskans on the question of placing native land into federal trust for the tribes. Uh, I'd like to bring Joe Nelson back in. Joe, would you like to respond to, to that statement from, from Governor Dunleavy? Yeah, I'll give it a shot, Sean. You know, the um, this case here with Clinton Haida is, is powerful because back when ANCSA happened, when it, when it passed, you know, this parcel wasn't an option. 
you know, uh, our uh, the tribe today is able to be strong enough to, you know, and, and uh, healthy enough to purchase land and then to put it in trust. And that's just a, a powerful place to be when back during the selections, which was happening real fast in the early 70s, a lot of our key prime properties were off limits. Uh, they couldn't be selected by the by the corporations because of uh, you know prior takings from uh, private owners and municipalities. So this is just uh, another tool in the bag here, uh, and there there's so many more issues that that uh, we can tackle together uh, if our governments just start working better together. So it, it, it's. Uh, Unfortunate, you know, that we're doing this, so hopefully it gets settled pretty quickly, and then we can get on with uh, actually taking care of the real needs of our communities, which the tribes are going to continue to lead the way in solving those issues. We've got it about another minute before we have to wrap up, and I, I want to ask Lloyd. Lloyd, do you have anything to add uh, in response to the statement from, from Governor Dunleavy? Well, I find it curious that the governor's book very powerfully about his interest in advocating for the interests of rural Alaska during the election. Then he waited until the election is over to take this action. Um, it's, uh, it's unfortunate the opinion uh, came out in November. He knew what was going on. In fact, he could have sued to challenge the regulatory change uh, when he first came into office. So I don't I don't. I don't accept the proposition in his in his statement, and I think it's uh, interesting that he disregards the rulings of prior courts that have held that ANCSA did not abolish either tribal sovereignty or the authority of the secretary to take lands into trust in Alaska. Well, folks, we are going to have to to wrap up our show now. This has been a really, really interesting dialogue today. Big thanks to our three guests, President Richard Peterson, Chairman Joe Nelson, and Lloyd Miller for, again, a really insightful conversation about trust land in Alaska. Join us again tomorrow for a discussion about tipping. How much should you tip a restaurant server? How much should you tip a hotel housekeeper? How much should you tip a casino employee? What is the Native perspective on tipping? We'll get answers for all those questions on the next Native America Calling. Join us at the same place and same time. I'm Sean Spruce. As people seek to know diverse cultures, tribal museums and cultural centers grow more popular. So the Institute of American Indian Arts, who support this show, now provides a Master of Fine Arts in Cultural Administration. Focused on social equity and support of cultural community growth, this program combines administrative tools and techniques with socially engaged leadership, blending institutional skills and community outreach programming. Deadline to apply is February 15 at iaia.edu slash mfaca. Support by the American Indian College Fund. The American Indian College Fund provides millions of dollars of scholarships to thousands of Native students every year. Tribal citizens of every age and experience are eligible. The deadline for applications is May 31st, and you can find everything you need to apply at collegefund.org. That's collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Education is the answer. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation. 
a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.